Let's uh, let's rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. As some of you guys singing. This is the day, the day that the Lord has made. Come on, man. Let's worship. Jeez. Let's let's be glad to be here. Amen. But I hope everyone's doing well this morning. I'm grateful for for uh, Josh's communion this morning, and and um, and uh, really excited to to continue with the series. Uh, no complaint, Vember, and um, can't complain, and and it's been going great. Amen. Amen. Right, and so um, I hope it's been going well for everyone, and just. I mean, look, even if even if you have complained a bit, right, at least what it's done is it's brought attention to not complaining, right? And it's brought attention to the fact that, whoops, I think I'm complaining, right? And so uh, at least it's done that, and at least it's, it's helped us to see the dangers in complaining, right? So... Something I'm excited about today is that World Cup starts today, right? And so, yeah, we're excited. So, we're the soccer fans in here. I know, I know, I know. Uh, Drew and his family—they're soccer fans as well. So, World Cup starts today. So, if I haven't done very well in not complaining, my complaining may start today. Because look, that's what that's what many sports fans do. You know, we complain about the plays. We complain about What's going on in the game? So look, well, we're not there yet. And so, yeah, as I watch World Cup, you know, there may be some complaining. But amen, you know, it's, or is it lamenting? It's complaining. <laughs> it's, it's complaining. It, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's inevitable that it may happen, but, um, it was a great time yesterday delivering to, to uh, you know, it, it was really good, like going to these families and, and, um, and delivering Thanksgiving dinners. That was, that was really fun, really cool to, to, to be able to help out and, and do that. So thank you so much to the Garvitas, the Moxleys, and everybody else who was able to, to, uh, to have a hand in setting that up, but also participating in that. Um, after that, went home and my wife made chili for our chili neighborhood chili cook-off. And uh, that was something, I think I mentioned to you guys that that I, um, when we started the whole neighboring series here, that I started getting really involved in my neighborhood. And I'm now on the, the housing committee. And part of my committee is the, um, the hospitality committee. And they came up to me yesterday and they said, hey, we got two new move-ins. So they want me this week to go welcome those people. So I get to know everyone in my neighborhood, you know, which is pretty cool. And so we put together this chili cook-off that we had yesterday. And it was just so awesome, so much fun. Look, I got to taste some really interesting chili. And it, it was really cool, and uh, and we have some really cool neighbors, and we just we just had a blast and played uh, uh, Jenga, you know, the big the big the big Jenga, and 
That was really cool. Let me tell you, that big one, when it comes tumbling down, it's like, watch out. Um, but it was fun. We had a really good time with our neighbors in the cold. Um, and so that was pretty cool. Not complaining about the cold, but I'm just saying it was cold. Um, uh, but yeah, it's been pretty, pretty great. Um, uh, just doing this series, drawing attention to, uh, complaining or not complaining, right? And how God takes complaining pretty seriously. Um, and so we're going into the, we are, well, we're in the week of Thanksgiving, right? And so, um, and so with this whole series and not complaining, it should draw us closer to being thankful and being grateful for who we are, what we have, um, the people we are before God and what he's given us. So I pray that as we go into this week, we can remember these things, right? That life is not always about us. Life is not always about what we don't have, right? But it's about somebody else, <laughs> right? Because we can go into even Thanksgiving Day. Have you ever had Thanksgiving Day where it's just like, Things don't go well, and it's just like, I can't believe the turkey tastes like this. I can't believe it stayed in there too long. I can't believe the stuffing is like this. The, tough, the stuffing's salty. I can't, like, and it's just like, can we just give thanks, y'all? You know, it's just like something just goes wrong on Thanksgiving, and it, it doesn't end up being Thanksgiving anymore. Right? Your, your team is playing football on Thanksgiving Day. And then, oh boy, it's not Thanksgiving Day anymore. Or it could be. Right? And so let's just bring this heart of Thanksgiving and not being critical into Thanksgiving. And so today we're going to talk about the problems we have with people. We're going to talk about our people problems today. You like that transition in there? Thanksgiving and people problems. And how much of our complaining is about people? <gasps> right? And it seems that most of our complaints are about people. Right? You know, we, you, you know, who have you complained about this week? You know, as I take these pauses when I say this, right? Because I want you to kind of consider it and think about it just a little bit. Like, who have you complained about this week? And I don't say who like it's one person. I want you to think about the people that you may have complained about this week. So let's start out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning, God. As we go through this message, Father, which I believe is your message to us, Father, I pray that we will open our hearts to your word. God, I truly believe that this is something that is critical to our lives as disciples. 
in our relationships with each other and our relationships with you. Father, be with us this morning. I pray that your spirit will move in this place. Father, I pray that your, your word will impact our hearts. In your son's name we pray, amen. So let us turn our Bibles to Jeremiah 12. And we're going to start in verse 1. And, my, and if you guys could advance our, my slides for me, that would be great. It just seems like it's not working. So Jeremiah 12, starting in verse 1, it says, You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I will speak with you about your justice. Jeremiah is bold, huh? Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be slaughtered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the, the people are saying he will not see what happens to us. If you have raced with men on foot, this is, this is the reply, okay? If you have raced with men on foot and, and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets of the Jordan? Your relatives... Members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them, though they speak well of you. This is a difficult passage. This is a difficult passage. Jeremiah has a valid complaint, don't you think? And he he's... He is complaining here. He's complaining here. Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a valid complaint that he takes to God. Right? He doesn't take it to a person. He doesn't take it to people. He takes his complaint to God. And he should get credit for that, though, that he takes his complaint to God. And, he's, and he says, and, and why, why is this valid? Why do I say it's a valid complaint? Well, God is righteous. And to be a righteous God is to be a just God. To be a fair God. He is a just and a fair God. And, and so Jeremiah expects some things out of a just and a fair God. And so if he's going to be just and fair, how can he allow 
in his justice, the wicked to prosper and live at ease. He's like, he's like, God, let me holler at you for a second. Because look, you are righteous. But look at what these guys are doing. They are wicked and they're evil, but yet they prosper. And they live at ease. How come? God, you are you are right. You are righteous. But with this, I have argument. With this, I have a complaint. And even more puzzling to Jeremiah is that God planted them there. It said that that God plants them there. They took root. They grew. And they bore fruit. He's like, how come? Don't, Don't you feel that way sometimes? And they were outwardly religious. Don't sometimes you you go into your workplace or your school and you say, wait a second, I'm righteous. I'm living the life I'm supposed to live. I go to church on Sunday. I go to midweeks. I go to Bible talks. I study my Bible every morning. I share my faith. I serve. Right? But yet, for some reason... I just can't keep up with, not those ones. I just can't keep up with the Joneses. For some reason. Like life just seems like it's just hard all the time. And for them, they prosper all the time. And it's easy for them. And Jeremiah says, I think this is a valid complaint between me and this is this is a valid argument I'm bringing to you God. This is I think I have right to bring this to you. Now I I, I do feel like he has this right to bring it to God. Absolutely, but you notice he doesn't bring it to people. And sometimes that's what we can do. We go to people and we're like, doggone it, this ain't right. I don't understand how these, again, not you, these Joneses have life this way and I don't. This ain't right. The people down the street, they leave their trash can out and they don't get in trouble. I leave mine out, I get a notice. The people down the street, and we go on, and we go on, and we go on, and we complain to one another. But Jeremiah, no, he goes to God. And that, for that, I give him credit. You know, Jeremiah's response to have them dragged away and slaughtered is a human response. Jeremiah is like, no, you know what? This is ridiculous. Uh-uh. No. This is what Jeremiah felt should be done 
with his enemies. But what about God's response? It's quite different. And you notice God doesn't console him. God doesn't say, oh, poor Jeremiah. I'm sorry you feel that way. God's answer to Jeremiah's complaint is basically, look, cheer up, Jeremiah. Here's, this, ain't, this is not the worst that can happen. The worst is yet to come. Because if you can't handle a foot race with men, how can you run with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how can you manage in the jungle, in the jungle-like thickets that are at the side of the Jordan? How can you manage that? And see, sometimes we look at our issues and our issues with people and we're, we blow them up as if they're the biggest problems we've ever had in our lives today. And they're not. And God is like, look, Cheer up because tomorrow might be a whole lot worse for you. You don't know what tomorrow may be like. So if you can't handle this, man, you are in for a ride. You know, that's one of the things that I was warned about in ministry. Was about relationship problems. That look, if you had trouble, JD, and you can't handle, couldn't handle the relationship issues you've had thus far in your life, don't do it. Because it's about to get a whole lot more messy. And I had to count the cost. And so I'm bringing this to you today to say, count the cost. Because the relationship issues that you may have had to date may not be of any consequence. They may get a whole lot worse. So the ones that we've complained about they could get a whole lot worse. That's not a promise. That's not a promise, but they could. It's a possibility. God is saying this is a walk in the park compared to what you're about to go through. And remember, his family, Jeremiah's family, had already turned against him. His family had already turned against him, and God is like, look, it's a walk in the park, buddy. We don't always get along. And relationships are not always going to be how we would expect that they should be. People are just not going to be who they should be. It's just how it is. It's hard. Are you angry with someone today? Is someone challenging your insecurity today? 
Are you comparing your situation to someone else's today? Are you ruminating and dwelling over some issue that you have with someone today? And as I said these things, who just popped into your mind? Who just popped into your mind? It's funny because sometimes, even as I, even as we say that, right, or I ask these questions, you may not have come in here feeling like, man, that person, oh. But as I asked the question, somebody just poop popped into your head. You know what I mean? It's like you may walk in here and be like, oh, it's such a great day today. And then I said, the, ask these questions, then poop, somebody popped in your head, and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Because that was that's probably on your heart. Let's turn our Bibles to James 1. James 1, 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So what do we find here? We know anger does not work. Anger just doesn't work. When we have issue in our relationships, we know it doesn't work. And so what we need to find is we need to find an alternative on how to deal with our relationships, on how to deal with these these things that pop up in our relationships with the person that we're ruminating with, right? Or, 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 or the things that are going on in these relationships. And so what is the, the, the alternative to anger and being critical of someone else? The alternative is empathy. Empathy. Empathy is the alternative to anger. Is it the easy alternative? Uh Uh-uh. But it is the alternative. To be quick to listen. Being quick to listen and understand. Slow to speak. That's a part of empathy. And it leaves room for empathy. In fact, it opens us up to empathizing with other people. And if we're slow to listen and we're quick to speak, we don't give ourselves time to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Some of us, man, I'm telling you, we are so slow to listen and quick to speak. You know what we do sometimes? Sometimes I think we need listening training. Because what happens is somebody is speaking to you and what you're doing in your mind is you're trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I answer them? And so when you're doing that, you're not listening. Because in your mind, you're like, oh, I'm going to give them the best answer ever. But you're not hearing them. So how are you going to do that? And that's just so amazing to me because sometimes I can speak, I'm speaking to somebody, right? And I'm like, I know they're not listening right now. They're just trying to figure out how to answer me. 
because you can see it because you see the eyes going up too, right? It's like, and they're trying to figure you out, right? And they're like, oh, and they're looking to the side, right? And they're like, and I'm like, dude, just, 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 just listen to me, <laughs> right? We gotta be slow to, like, quick to listen and slow to speak. Philippians two. Three through four says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Ha <laughs> ha. Yes. Hence the challenge. Not looking to your own interests. But each of you to the interests of others. You're looking to someone else's interests. What does that do? It removes you. So that you can look to their interests and be empathetic. That's how you put yourself in someone else's shoes. There's an article, it says, lacking the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I love how it starts, right? Because it does take the Holy Spirit. It says, lacking the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, modern society is looking for new, innovative ways to help make people more empathetic. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, whose company sells Oculus VR headset, set of virtual set of virtual reality. One of the most powerful features of VR is empathy. Check out what he says here. He says one of the most powerful features of VR is empathy. And I think what he says is very interesting here. By cultivating empathy, VR can raise awareness and help us see what's happening in different parts of the world. The hope and promise of VR is that one day everyone will call it an empathy machine. By creating an immersive and interactive virtual environment, a VR headset, right, a virtual reality headset, can quite literally put you in someone else's shoes. Text, image, or video offers only partial views of a person's life. With VR, you can, you can get inside their head. And this high-fidelity simulation, the argument goes, will make us better people by heightening our sensitivity to the suffering of others. It will make us more compassionate, more connected, and ultimately more human. In the words of the VR artist, Chris, Chris Milk, by lending you the eyes and ears of someone suffering, tech helps you to develop a greater sense of responsibility for them. You feel compelled to act. 
This is connectivity, not merely as technical concepts, but a moral one. And so this expectation is partially explored in the movie Ready, Ready Player Two. I, I don't know. I didn't. Well, it says two, but I didn't think that came out. It said it came out in 2020, but I don't think it did. Anyway, it says more advanced VR actually placed inside the brains of most of the world's population has rid the world of crime, disease, addiction, and all forms of prejudice in this movie. As one of the film's characters says, for the first time in human history, we have technology that gives us the ability to live in someone else's skin for a little while. And so how amazing is that? Like, if that, if that were to happen, right? Like with this VR, this virtual reality, where you're looking through these virtual goggles, per se, and you're, and you're looking at someone else's pain, their hurts, and you're basically putting yourself in their shoes. Can you imagine the difference and the change that that could even make. Because for us, that is what we need to do, guys. When we hurt and when we have things going on in our lives, when somebody comes to you and they say, they say, I am hurting. This is something that's happening in my life. I am sad even. Empathy is not, oh, Okay, I'll pray for you. Do we need prayer? Yes. But that is not empathy. Empathy is trying to put yourself in that person's shoes. And seeing, man, how does that feel? How does that feel to experience that pain? Sympathy means that you have experienced the pain. Empathy means, man, how does that feel to experience the pain? But do we do that? Are we doing that? Are we willing to do that? Do we want to do that? Do we want to be empathetic? And what happens sometimes is because we don't want to do that, it leads us to be critical and complain about each other. Man, this person is always hurting about that. Why can't they change already? They always complain about the same thing. Why are they different already? Come on, man, bro, repent. That's a lack of empathy. And we're quick to do that, too. We're quick to say, man, he's just slow to repent, ain't he? He's just slow to change. He's just slow to be different. It's just time, doggone it, that he's changing. That's a lack of empathy. Because have you once put yourself in that person's shoes to see how hard it is for them to change? To feel the pain. Whatever kind of sin it is. 
It could be sexual sin. It could be, it could be, you know, drugs. It could be alcohol, whatever it is. But have you tried to put yourself in their shoes? To feel the pain of it, to say, man, I wonder what they're feeling right now. Because we can come from outside and just say, hey, repent. Dude, you're a mess. Or we can be empathetic and help. There's a difference. Because if you haven't felt it, it's kind of hard. Jesus was very empathetic. Mark 7, I love what he does here in Mark 7. Starting in verse 31, it says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly walk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away From the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Aphatha, which means be open. At this the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. One of the things that blows me away with this passage is in verse 33 where he says, after he took him aside, away from the crowd. Now Jesus has the ability to just be like, poof, you're healed. He could have just healed him right there. But Jesus is so empathetic compassionate to this man that he takes him aside perhaps so sensitive to his needs so that this miraculous recovery wouldn't startle him or embarrass him in any way he takes him aside away from the crowd in an intimate moment between themselves And he didn't want the whole thing maybe, I don't know, he didn't want the whole thing of him spitting and and, and touching him, you know, on his tongue to, to seem weird to everybody else and embarrass the guy. He takes him aside. Would you be so sensitive and empathetic? Because I've seen conversations sometimes out in the open. Where I'll be like, dude, you got to take that over here somewhere. It's a little bit personal. Think about the person's feelings and take that over there. Come on. But look what Jesus here. In verse 34, he, he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh. So you can tell Jesus is feeling some things. About this man. What is he feeling? Compassion. 
empathy. Because certainly Jesus doesn't know what he's going through. But he's empathetic. When I say not know it, he's never experienced it. But he's empathetic. And he's like, oh, man. Are we sensitive to each other? There's an anonymous quote. It says, no man is a good physician who has never been sick. No man is a good physician who has never been sick. Sometimes it takes us being in the same position. Matthew 9, another example, Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Can you imagine sheep without a shepherd? They have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't know where they're grazing. They're calling out for their shepherd. I was about to make a sheep sound, but I'm not going to do it. Some of you were waiting for that. Right? They're calling out and no, and no shepherd is coming. You know, Jesus' greatest empathy was for spiritual weariness. His greatest empathy was for spiritual weariness. When we, when we feel weird, weary, worn out spiritually, Jesus is empathetic. The very condition he came to set right. I challenge you that when your brother and your sister is worn out spiritually, that you're empathetic. When we're worn out spiritually, I hope we're empathetic with each other. And that we're not critical with each other. That we're not looking at each other saying, what is wrong with you, bro? Repent already, change already, get better already. But know that we put ourselves in each other's shoes. They may not fit, but yet we do it anyway. And you know what happens when they don't fit? We look silly. But that's okay because we love each other. You ever walk in somebody's shoes and they don't fit and you're just like, it's okay. Because we love each other and we care. And we want to help. And that's what we do when we're empathetic. Not critical. Not not complaining about one another. If you don't see somebody come to church. I can't believe they're home in their pajamas. I wonder why. Are they okay? Are they sick? Do I need to bring them communion? Do I need to bring them dinner? Are they hurting? 
Don't be thinking, how come they get to be in their pajamas and I don't? You can wear your pajamas here if you want to. Just as long as, you know, they're pajamas. <laughs> what can empathy do for you? How can we do this practically? So here's the practical part of all this. You know, there's, there's something really critical that I do as a minister. When I preach messages, I try to teach try to teach those who preach up here about this, and Nathan does it very well, right, is, is called exegesis, right? Exegesis is the drawing out of the, of the Scripture, where you're reading the Scripture and you're trying to pull from the Scripture. You're trying to, it, it's a part, it's, it's a very important part and term of interpretation and interpreting the text, right? And so, um. What we want to do is we want to try to live this exegetical life, right? And so our, our focus is, you know, normally our focus should be to follow the Bible. Amen? Right? Follow the Bible. But how do, how do we know that we're interpreting the Bible correctly? And how do we know we're interpreting it as correctly as possible? And that's the big responsibility for me, Right? And so here's what exegesis is. Exegesis is that you take a passage. If we could go to the next slide. You take a passage and you try to understand it in its original context. Then you, then you look at the differences. You look at the differences in our world today. So you're looking at the, you're looking at the original context in, in the world that it was written in, I suppose, right? And so you're looking at it, you're looking at the differences in our world today. And th this is called crossing of the, the, the principalizing bridge, right? And then you can apply the passage to our world and, and to our life, right? So you're crossing this bridge, right? So, so for instance, Moses in the burning bush, Right? God tells him to take off his, his shoes. Right? And so, should we worship bare feet in bare feet? <laughs> right? I know some of you are like, that would be pretty cool, right? <laughs> right? Everybody takes off their shoes at the door. And, and some of you are like, no way. Right? Should we wear sneakers instead? Right? This can be applied, it's applied a certain way then, and it, it's applied, it, it could, we can look at it being applied, you know, a certain way now, as you just look at that passage. But the way that the scripture is supposed to be interpreted is that God wants us to approach him with reverence, right? With humility and with respect. Right? So you're taking this passage and you're looking at how it was written back then and then you're you're crossing this bridge and you're like, okay, well this is its placement for today. All right? So what if we applied exegesis to people? What if we applied this drawing out 
to people. In Proverbs 20, verse 5, it says, The purpose, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. But one who has insight does what? Draws them out. He draws them out. The one who has insight draws them out. Are we taking the time to draw out hearts? What if we drew out people's heart rather than being critical or angry? Really, really striving to understand their world. That world across the bridge. Really trying to understand their world. And look at the differences with grace and curiosity. And then, and only then, applying our thoughts. Because if you, if, you, if you haven't done that, but if you haven't drawn out their hearts and understood that, then why are you applying your thoughts? What gives you the right to apply your thoughts? Because some of us, we could, we could see something on the outside and on the surface and come up with all these reasons why it's happening without drawing out their thoughts. And that is being critical. What is this person's background? And how is it different from mine? How is their situation different from mine? You know, we find that a lot, and we should have learned quite a bit of that a few years ago with the whole racial stuff that started. We should have quite frankly learned it from before that, but I'm just saying. Like, what's their background? We're a very diverse church in here. Have you asked about each other's background? Like what is what is life like in South Korea? What was life like in the Philippines? Jamaica? Right? Have you asked about backgrounds? How might they be feeling? And how do those differences in culture, Mexico, right? How does the difference in culture affect how we live today amongst each other in Huntsville, Alabama? As disciples, right? In the school system, with your children, Right? What are the challenges like for you? And not just saying, get over it, bro. I'll pray for you. You got to repent. But asking some of these questions, how about, and have I ever felt this way? And start to say, and start to think, man, go from sympathy to empathy. How would I want to be treated if I felt this way? I think those are some important questions, guys. And I know I'm kind of going a little long here, but I think this is important for us to be able to 
to, to live together as what? Family. Family. Because we can call ourselves family, but if we're not acting like family, then there's some kind of imbalance there, right? That last question, I think, is more than just a suggestion to make you more empathetic. It's the golden rule, right? How would I want to be treated if I felt this way? That's, like, that's the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. So to practice that rule and, and truly obey Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, we have to do exegesis. We have to draw each other out. We have to consider what we would want to do, what we would want done to us, how we would want to be treated ourselves, right? You know, Abraham Lincoln, he said, he said to, to ease another's heartache is to forget one's own. And not someone unknown, he said, until you walk a mile in another man's mo moccasins, you can't imagine the smell. <laughs> right? Are you putting in the work? Or are you just letting yourself be annoyed, angry, or bitter? The opposite of exegesis, though, is eisegesis. Right? That's when we read this pa the passage or... I should say, before we read the passage, we just have in our mind, you know what? I am going to preach on forgiveness. And this scripture right here, it just sounds so nice. I'm going to make it my scripture about forgiveness. And, and, and even though it's not about forgiveness, I'm just going to form it in such a way that it will sound like it's about forgiveness. So I'm going to insert my forgiveness um, illustration into this passage. So that's what eisegesis is. It doesn't mean to draw out. It means to put in. And that ain't right. Okay? And so that's what we do with people, though. We put our own ideas and assumptions in. Instead of doing the work of exegesis. So someone does something, we say, okay, this is what they're doing. We don't do the exegesis, we just say, okay, this is what they're doing. We don't draw out, we put in. Oh, they didn't come to church. Oh boy, it's becoming a habit. They're just in sin. Meanwhile, the person's dead sick with COVID at home. Right? We need to draw out, y'all. Draw out. Not put in. Not make assumptions. Draw out. What if we what if we drew out people's hearts rather than always trying to insert something into it? Who do you have an attitude with? What do you have an attitude about? 
I challenge you to pray for that person in an exegetical way this week and watch the attitude fade away. Ultimately, we need to deal with our people problems because you know what? Quite frankly, they're God problems. You don't really have problems with people. You have problems with God. Many of us, we think we have problems with people. Your problem is really with God. They keep us from being close to God. Like God said to Jeremiah, if you can't run with people, how are we supposed to walk with God? If people are always your issue, if people are always the issue with where you can't you can't run with people. How are you going to walk with God? Because people are always going to block your relationship with God. It's going to cloud it and it's going to get in the way. And it's going to be an obstacle. And so here's one last thought. God is totally in love with that person that you have a problem with. The person you criticize, God is head over heels for them. Your God totally loves him or her and would do anything for him or her. So I caution you on what you're doing. Dealing with our people problems is agreeing with God. Dealing with people problems makes the cross make sense. And dealing with people problems ultimately deals with the people who cause us the most problems. You know who that is? Us. So we can get out of the way and see how God so loves the world. And to God be the glory. Amen.